Hi, this is Bruce Valanche, and you're listening to Vicki Abelson's The Road Takes Hi, I'm Vicki Abelson. I wrote a book called Don't Jump. Andy Stone is my heroine, and she was addicted to everything pretty much except heroin. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. She just totally captures the excitement of, of rock stars. And famous athletes and famous comedians. Sort of an insider's view from the outside. The warmth and wit of Vicki's writing knocked me out. In, in a good way, not, not like Cosby. Too soon? Vicki wrote a book? Vicki Abelson's long-awaited new book, Don't Jump, is finally here. Don't miss it. Available on Amazon. Wheezy, John. So you're in the studio. You can see me. I've got right now I've got like this headphone on my on my head. You do. But normally like my hair is kind of you know, my hair is my thing. My I'm very I'm very my hair is kind of a signature for me. Okay. And I haven't changed my hairdo in about thirty years, maybe more. But Anyway, so I'm very attached to this part of me because I think it represents me. I think people associate it with me. You know, it's kind of become a sign that with my feathers, especially my feathers in my hair, which I started because my hairdresser, who is Cindy Wright at Coif Salon in Studio City, you know, when I was coming out to L.A., um, a dozen years ago, I had a guy in New York that I went to for years, and I was really traumatized that I was moving to Los Angeles and I was going to have to find a new hairdresser, and I was pretty freaked out about it because I don't, yeah, it's, that's your hair is your thing. Yeah, anything yeah. else, you know, I'll go to yeah, but no, and actually that's not true. I'm loyal to like the same doctor, the same anyway. So my friend Kathleen Wilhoyt. Fabulous actress, fabulous singer. Her. You, Kathleen's fabulous. Yeah. She suggested that I go to Cindy. I loved her hair, and I I was scared. And it was before we moved out here, like six months before, so I could find somebody before. Right? I was like looking for a house and looking for a hairdresser. Those okay. were the two important okay. things. Yeah. So and the schools. It was all about the schools. Well, anyway, so I go to Cindy, and she does my hair the first time, and it's magic. And so now it's twelve years later. Nobody touches my hair but Cindy Wright at Coif Salon in Studio City. She is phenomenal. She does my highlights because I'm not a natural salt and pepper. No, I, somebody said I had salt and pepper. I don't have gray in my hair. No, it's blonde and whatever other color that is. And there's a lot of that. And it's kind of very stripey and, and kind of not natural looking, which I love. And it's very choppy and, and kind of... It's an event. It's an event. The hair is an event. And Cindy is brilliant every time. And, you know, like I, I look back at pictures and I see that, you know, it's changed minimally, you know, through like, and, you know, each time when I do it, I'm like, oh, I liked it better last time until like two weeks later and then I love it. Anyway, I can't recommend her highly enough. I love, love, love her. So if you are looking for somebody that you can trust, depend on, who's fantastic and who's so much fun, I, she's become one of my best friends, go to Cindy Wright at Quaff in Studio City. Welcome to Vicki Abelson's broadcast, The Road Taken, Celebrity Maps to Success. Vicki's the creator and host of the renowned celebrity-driven literary salon, Women Who Write, and the author of Amazon bestseller, Don't Jump. Here's Vicki. Hey, Wheezy. Hey, Lindsay. How are you guys doing tonight? Pretty good, pretty We're good. We're doing very well. I'm so glad to hear it. I, I, um, 
I am sounding, I like to say like Marlo Thomas, but I was mm. told yesterday uh, at Women Who Write, one of the women said I sounded like I had a frog in my throat, which isn't quite as attractive as Marlo Thomas. And well, then somebody, is? somebody then not exactly nicely said, it sounds sexy. So I'm going to go with it sounds sexy. Um <laughs> Let's go with that. But anyway, it's it's unbelievable what is going on in Los Angeles and what I think is going on around the country, maybe the world, with illness right now is insane. Um, for the first time in eight and a half years, I almost canceled Women Who Write yesterday <gasps> because so many people were out, including my two photographers were not going to be there. And I was like, no, I cannot use iPhone pictures for a woman who write. That is not. But Linda came in the in a, from her sick bed. And, she and did? She did. She braved it out and she came. She was. She's a I'm trooper. I'm so sorry, Vicki. I oh, will be there for you next No, I mean, month. you look, you know, life happens and I know that. But, but also all day Monday, you know, I clean for the fucking bitches all day Monday right. and I'm cleaning toilets. I got three bathrooms. I got to, you know, I'm, I'm cleaning the house for the babes and I'm getting one email after another after another and I, I was really ready to cry I, I have never seen anything like it and I was this close you people can't see I'm holding two fingers very close together I was this close to canceling it and then I said you know what the talent the artists have been like prepping for this for a month I can't do that to them but but what am I going to do if I have a house with like five people in it this would be terrible but it ended up you know, let go and let God, trust, have faith. Mm -hmm. I decided, you know, I was going to, you got to go on with the show. You got to do what you set out to do. We had, it was maybe in the five best ever. Wow. Everybody, we may, you know, it was a small crowd, maybe 30 people, small for us, but the best people, everybody was so on their game and the, the show was amazing it's on facebook by the way for those of you out there who want to check out what we do um we do facebook live so we had another thousand people with us <gasps> wow. outside of the living room watching with us so which good. was and you know you can feel that energy happening and when you stand behind the phone you can see like the little love things go up and the little likes it's so cool um but anyway yeah so we had all these people with us out there in cyberland but the show was just extraordinary and um i really recommend going to watch it because the talent was amazing we had steve weisberg and this woman Susie williams who is like a pink-haired judy garland she tore my son was sleeping upstairs not for long she like <laughs> the whole house was sh <laughs> she sang from her fucking kishkas and she's very <laughs> funny she had a song about stalking that was hysterical but it was they were amazing and then um uh brita lee shane who wrote a book about her love affair with bob dylan who was and the book was just rated number 15 on the new york post best of 2016 ahead of of um uh, what's his name? Oh, my God. Shep Gordon's was number 16. I mean, and how great was his book? So, wow, so great, right? So great, yeah. And so she told us about her love affair with Bob Dylan, which was crazy. And then Mike Royce, our Mike Royce, who was here and so fabulous here, there, even more fabulous, and read for us a piece he wrote, which was fantastic, Ooh. about getting canceled, which was hysterical. He was, it was such a wonderful, and I read a piece um, from my book, and I, you know, I have a showrunner in the house. You'd think I'd read something that was indicative of what my book could be like in episodic television since he's at Netflix. Mm -hmm. But no, no, au contraire, I did not do that. Instead, I read a piece about um, my process because I'm, I'm kind of going through a thing. I've been talking about it on air, you know, kind of ending a romance and taking care of myself. And and it's about letting go. And I want before we get into that, I just want to say... 
tonight for the first time, the road taken is all female. We're all girls here. We're women. Represent. Representing. We have Lindsay working sound tonight. And we've got Wheezy and we've got me and we're all, and and I really love this. And so Louise was just getting me hip to the the lingo of of the day, which I was, now what's it called, Wheezy? So most of the internet is full of what women like to call mansplaining. <laughs> and that is this. where if a female sort of conveys a view or an opinion or an observation, a man might tread through that and say on Twitter or on Facebook, well, you know, and just kind of sort of negate let, and just let you know that you don't know. <laughs> Right, but on, in in the podcasting world, women can have a podcast and be free of mansplaining throughout the entire process of this dialogue. Isn't that something? Until we get Bruce on the phone, and there, <laughs> that, that's well, all ruined. Well, that's yeah. like, well, that is like having one of the girls for many reasons. Um, when Bruce came to do Women Who Write. Were you there, Wheezy? That was a long time ago. I don't think I was. I love Bruce, and I've seen him speak on many occasions, but I don't know if I was there that day. Okay, well, when Bruce came, and I'm thinking it's at least five years ago, uh, first of all, the way I got him was I, I, I approached him on Facebook, and he said he wanted to do it because when he saw the list of everybody else who had done it, he wanted to be on that list. <laughs> he wanted to be on the list with Carl Reiner and Norman Lear and all of those people. As he should be. Um <clears throat> But anyway, so he came, and because it was called Women Who Write, he decided he's he's a right he is a writer. He oh. is an Emmy winning yes. writer. Yes. He started out as a journalist. This, if anybody is a writer who comes to Women Who Write, it's Bruce Valanche. But he read us the writings of three women. So he read us like he does at Celebrity Autobiography. He picks up their book. So he read us as Star Jones, and I can't remember who the other two was were. He'll have to t- hysterical because he did it in character. And it was That's so sort funny. of like on The Voice when a male singer will perform a traditionally female yes, song. Yes, I love that. Love um, I love that. This was even campier, and you know Bruce has been uh, Norma. Uh, Turnblatt, Edna Turnblatt from Hairspray. He yes. played her on Broadway. And yes. uh, so Bruce is not um, unused to uh, portraying women. Mm-hmm. So, And he was fabulous at it. Anyway, we'll get to Bruce. While we're talking about that, all right, you know, I was going to talk about like stuff. The only thing I wanted to talk about stuff. And by the way, I happen to appreciate not mansplaining, but I appreciate male opinion. Or I thought you were going to say manscaping, <laughs> which I was going to say. I yeah. very much sure, appreciate manscaping. Oh, yeah. For those of you out there who are not scaping and you are man, scape. Scape the man. <laughs> Just scape, keep scaping. Scape the man. <laughs> We don't want that hairy thing. No, no one should have hairy shit going on down there. I just watched Girls. I, I didn't realize it had started. The season had started. And I just caught up and watched the first three last night. And I have to say that Lena Dunham has balls bigger than any man I have ever seen. Because not only does she show herself in all of her glory. And let me tell you something. It takes a lot of balls to show your you're chubby and you know your stomach hanging over your pants and all of that shit i love that she is totally cool with her body but she also shows her snatch and she does not scape ah, she I'm does scared. not scape the woman and neither does the uh, neither does i forgot the, her the character's name of the other woman on the show who showed how many vaginas are on that show a lot of vaginas wow. and and andrew reynolds ass which was adorable mm. but anyway um 
yeah, there's a lot of vaginas and they are not scaped and they're happening all over the place. And boy, that so I think they're going to end up changing what's hip today. I think scaping I so, is going to go out. I feel out. like there's hair down there for a reason. It sort of creates. Well, this is what Lena Dunham ecosystem. said. That's necessary. Lena mm-hmm. Dunham said it's there to protect the vagina. Sure. So you know, I I don't know. I'm not a fan of the hair anymore. But anyway, I I think it's it's in, what kind of conversation are we having? But anyway, I. <laughs> I am a fan a of good the one. male good one. opinion. Mm-hmm. I appreciate male opinion, and I appreciate male feedback, and I like to hear as long as they're not talking down to you. Absolutely, right. and, but you know, I don't. You know, if they start that shit, that that's that's not going to cut it with me. I'm going to mm-hmm. say something. I'm going to I'm going to shut talk. that down real quick. Sh- exactly, <laughs> that ain't going to be happening. You need to get waxed. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but anyway, so I just wanted to say that in light of everything going on in my life, and and letting things go and taking care of myself. I've come to also really appreciate the value of letting go and how difficult it is. That just because I make a decision to move on and do the healthy thing doesn't mean it's easy. No, I often say that the right thing is often the hard thing. The hardest thing. I'm suffering it. Um, I went off my cleanse and gained back half the weight and like 30 minutes and no but but now my friend amber who owns skinny lemon is giving me 10 cases of skinny lemon i can cleanse for the next year i'll weigh three pounds i have a question about this because i i I just feel like it's not really teaching you how to eat it's no it's totally not it's to it's it's total bullshit it's like to get yourself into a dress for one night but it's not really no what it does is it kickstarts a weight loss that if i when i can parlay it and and carry it forward it's just that what happened is there's still a certain man in the oval office that i'm blaming for everything and so when i stopped the cleanse i wanted something you know crunchy is when you when you have anger so crunchy for me is like potato chi- like really hard cape cod potato chips you, know, you crunch really hard is this really some ancient chinese wisdom this is ancient chinese wisdom. so i was like crunching because i was angry not just at him at my situation and letting go is hard so yeah doing the right thing is hard but i'm i know that the anecdote to up to the the spinning wheel which is what i was talking about at women who write yesterday is is just focus on something else, even if it's just washing the dishes, anything just to get out of the head. Well, can I tell you what I have done? Which is active, and you know, I have joined the Indivisible in Santa Barbara, and that is the movement. There are are, uh, clubs all over America of Indivisible, uh, and we are opposing everything Trump says and does. Right. And that's something active that you can do where you feel like you're part of the solution rather than yes. just feeling horrible and crunching on something. Absolutely. And, you know, and so I, look, I am look up indivisible, the... your zip code. I will find a meeting. Go. I Even will. if it's just to listen to other people who feel like you feel. It's that, so that does help. And I know making the phone calls and sending the emails and you know doing what I can do. You don't have to do um, that kind of work. You can do the kind of work that suits you. There's lots yeah. of stuff to do. Well, that that's been one thing that I've I've felt. A, that I can do, so I'm happy about that. We're gonna have we're gonna have our guests in a couple minutes, so let's let's talk quickly, um, if we can, about the fiasco that happened. Which by the time this show airs is going to be old news, but I think it's still compelling. Um, we were just talking before we went on air about um, the Academy Awards, which yeah, we'll be. But I I want to I want to put out there by the way that less than two weeks prior to the Academy Awards. 
I was with Casey Affleck and he took my book and we, we took a nice picture together. And I'm just going to also point out that last year, pro- just prior to the Academy Awards, I was with Leonardo DiCaprio and he took a book and I was with him and they both won Oscars. And Ryan Gosling, I'm just telling you, you were in my presence just a, a couple <laughs> weeks ago. Your handlers got you out of there. You didn't take the picture with me. You didn't get the book. You're a good luck charm. I mean, you want to win the Oscar next year, Ryan. I'm just saying. Well, I'll I'm be on around. team Denzel, so you need to get him a book. Well, I love Denzel. I have to say though, after that, I after the screening, I went to Offenses and they did the uh, the talk back with the whole cast. I was a huge Denzel fan, ha- not only of his work, but I had a huge crush on him. Not anymore. Um, I what was. Happened? I was not. I was you guys not falling Im- out. I was not impressed with the person that um, was before me that day. Maybe he and wasn't in. A I don't know because now I've been watching him since, and um, I don't know if he's going through something and he's not. A ha- it's not a happy time in his life, but he strikes me. There was a. There's been a lack of grace with him that um, has. I, I find very troubling, and. Um, I hope he gets out of it because I think he's a genius and I think he's brilliant and I loved Fences. Um, but, um, yeah. But anyway, so I, I just wanted to, to give a shout out to, to Jimmy Kimmel because he's listening, of course. <gasps> of but course. I, I just want to say hey, that Jimmy. I, he has I, this on a loop. I Of course, right? Mm-hmm. We do, You know, Adam Carolla does, um, does uh, um, like on my Instagram when I post stuff about the podcast, but I just think it's because I hashtag podcast and I think his people just have it flagged. So anything with a podcast, Adam Carolla likes, but I don't care why. We'll it's cool. It. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, I thought Jimmy did a brilliant job. I thought he was the best host in years uh, since probably Billy Crystal. I thought he was, he was just easy, affable. I love what he did with Matt Damon. I love that he played Matt Damon out. I thought that was hysterical. And to do something new that's never been done before. And you know, the whole bus thing, people were saying, oh, that was fixed. I don't care what it was. I loved it. It was hysterical. It was so funny. Right? It was hysterical. And and he was just he was just lovely. I thought just the whole thing, but so then the faux pas. So so what did you think when it happened? What what were your feel, Lindsay? What did you think when when the whole thing happened with the wrong envelope? And so here's the funny thing. Okay, I saw La La Land win, and then I looked at my friends and I was like, I'm gonna run to the restroom since it's over, and then we're gonna leave. And so as I was coming out of the restroom, that's when they were like, just kidding, Moonlight won. Oh. So I missed the whole thing. Oh. <laughs> But I heard about it after and I saw all the memes on like Facebook and uh-huh. Instagram and whatever. And I was like, wait a minute. He it was Warren Beatty. 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 Sorry. Oh, I, I love don't, that I she can't. doesn't even know who he I'm is. Sorry. Oh, my God. And I'm going to be honest. I don't know who the woman was either. They got away. They are Bonnie a, and Clyde. a millennial. They were Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But I think it was funny that all the memes were blaming him when she was the one that read yeah, up. Yeah, she's well, not name. a good ride or die. Well, he because actually he really th- showed he th- her the card and was like, "What do we do?" Right. Well, he didn't he say what do wrong. we do, and you know, I no, just want to. But he her, knew it was wrong. But in her defense and in his, actually, I just want to say they weren't wearing glasses and they're old fuckers. They're and not so that old. They are old. They need reading glasses. They both are absolutely of the age. They had that the they, wrong card. They had no the wrong glasses. card. They did the right card. All right, they did have the wrong card. But all for all we know, Warren Beatty put the card in her face and all she saw La La Land. Maybe she didn't look at anything else. I think he threw her under the bus. He took 10 minutes looking at that card and he showed it to her. He also looked in the envelope to see if there was another card. He needed to just say, do we have the right card? That's right. (laughs) There's people that work there. All right. But you know what? 
everybody fucked up, but we all fuck up. It's life. It's yeah, it's a lot of that's pressure. The other thing. There's fucking a gazillion people watching this right. show. It's a, lot of, it's pressure, a lot of pressure, even for someone like Warren Beatty, who's used to pressure. Right. All I know is that the La La Land people and and the Moonlight people, all of them, I thought, showed so much grace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they taught us how to behave, as far as I'm concerned. Beautiful. So we only have a couple minutes before Bruce is going to call, and I want to I want to tell everybody a little bit about Bruce Valanche because if we're talking about the Academy Awards, you can't do it without Bruce Valanche, six-time Emmy Award winner. The guy wrote for the the Oscars starting back in 1989, and in 2000 he became the head writer, and so he had a reign for a long time through all those incredible Billy Crystal things. Do you know that Bruce Valanche? Okay, Lindsay, this is before your time. Johnny Carson was a god, but a, a god that you probably have never heard of, but he was the god of late night TV. I've heard of him. Okay, good. <laughs> well, when Johnny was doing his last show, of which I bet you Wheezy was watching, I know I was. Of course. Bette Midler did that incredible song to Johnny that went on to win an Emmy. Who wrote that song? Who wrote the lyrics or who wrote... Who wrote the, the lyrics was Bruce, Bruce Valanche. Valanche. Yes, he did. He wrote those lyrics, which I was sobbing like a baby during that. Um, Bruce and, and Bette go back. Bruce started out as a writer on the Chicago, was it the Observer or the Tribune? Um, he started out as, as a journalist. And, um, uh, God, I'm trying to get it right. And I, and I Oh, and the Chicago Tribune. And then he met up with Bette. And he started writing with Bet, and um, they became great friends. And he wrote um, uh, Clams on the Half Show, which was her first show. And he co-wrote Divine Madness with her. And even recently, um, The Showgirl Must Go On, which is just mm-hmm. um, <laughs> they've done together. Um, but Bruce and Bet, you know, and from after Bet, he then started writing jokes for Lily Tomlin, Billy Crystal, Roseanne Barr, Rosie O'Donnell, Paul Reiser, Dame Elizabeth Taylor, Stephen Tyler of Aerosmith, and Robin Williams. Um, he also, um, when he came to L.A., he co-wrote the Donnie and Marie show. That's Ooh. where he started in TV. Yeah, wow. he um, he's been a columnist for the Advocate. He is very strong with LBGTQ. LBGQ um, L- and has LGBTQ. been LGBTQ. LGBTQ. Thank you. Plus. Aha. Uh-huh. Um, plus. Um, he's been writing for the Advocate since 1980. Um, he started out in film. His first role was as a dress manufacturer in the film Mahogany with Diana Ross. Mm. Um, and he went on to have a long personal and professional relationship with her. Um, he, as an actor, had a part in Bosom Buddies, and he also had a small part in his good friend Richard Gere's film Breathless. He's good friends with Richard Gere. I want to marry Richard. We're going to have to. Maybe he'll. Maybe he'll hook me up. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Of course he will. Um, he was the subject of Andrew J. Kuhn's 1999 documentary Get Bruce. Mm-hmm. Mm. Bruce performed his off-Broadway one-man show Bruce Valanche. Almost famous at the West Best West Beth Theater Center, he played himself in a 2001 episode of The Simpsons titled "Pokey Mom." <laughs> I love it. In 2005, Bruce starred on Broadway as Edna Turnblad in the long-running musical Hairspray, as mentioned before. After playing the role for two years in the show's first national tour. 
when Bruce played My Living Room, as I said, he played Star Jones. I, w- I can't remember who the other two women were. I don't know if Bruce will remember. It was a long time ago. But I'm so excited to welcome him to the show. There are v- Oh, I didn't even mention four years on the Hollywood Squares. Mm. He was not only the head writer, but he was also a personality in the box. But he wrote everybody else's shtick, and it was during the Whoopi Goldberg. And he has a very long history with Who- Whoopi Goldberg. He was the one that wrote the shtick that Ted Danson did in blackface at the Friars Club, which became like this big thing. Yeah. Do you remember that, Weezy? Yeah, yes, it was like I a do. big thing. So Bruce is controversial to say the least. He's fantastic. He he runs around the country, I believe, doing celebrity autobiography, and here he is. So let's get ready to welcome Bruce Valanche. Hi, Bruce. Hello, Vicky. I'm so happy to <laughs> have you. I'm I'm so happy to have you here, and the timing could not be more impeccable. I'm gonna. Um, I have, know we're all recovering from the Oscars. Right. Okay. So before we get into the Oscars, I want you to just say hello to Luis Palanca, who Palanker. I say uh because Hi. I'm from New York. Do you say Do you say Palenka. pizza? Do you, Do you drop your ers, or do you not do that, Bruce? Do I? Yeah, you're from I don't New know. York. We'll find out. Let me see. All right. I don't know about the ERs. I drop the, you know, I don't say the, the consonants in the middle. I'm from Jersey. Oh, so okay. So we say things like, we, we say contentment. Oh. We say metal. Yeah, we yeah, don't yeah, say yeah. Tease. That much <laughs> I can tell you. The ER, I think I say the ER. I, huh. think, uh, I think Brooklyn drops it. Well, I'm I from know. the Bronx, and I, I drop like when it. I people but... add it. I, and then I add it. I add it to because it's pizza and it's water. So I don't know how that happens. Water. So you reverse it's water. You reverse water. Um, so anyway, so the, this is Lindsay and this Hi. is Bruce. Hi. Um, okay, so now Hi, we... Hi, Lindsay. Hey. All right, so we got to get into the Oscars. Okay, so I want to know... All right, I just went through all your credits. We, we talked about no, the six Emmys the and we, we, talked, we talked about all the, the Oscar broadcasts that you've been on. But what, so what was this for you? What, 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 what's going on, Bruce? How did this happen? <laughs> uh <laughs> Well, I think it's kind of been made clear. I mean, there are always accountants on either side of the stage, and they each have an envelope. Right. And uh, and it, it looks like the one guy was distracted and gave them gave Warren the wrong envelope, and then he went out, and I think he realized that there was something wrong. But see now, Warren, yeah, has never worked where he didn't have to have a retake. <laughs> you know, the last time Warren worked live was. Sixty-five years ago on Broadway, <laughs> he hasn't worked live since. So, so he, you know, everything can have a retake. So suddenly he's out there and, and he's live, live, and doesn't know exactly what to do or how to. He could have said, uh, "I think this is the wrong envelope," but I right. think he was pondering the best way he could do it. You know, and uh, and Faye was just, just looking at him like, uh, I guess, like, "What are you nuts?" So the minute he was, I think he was handing her the envelope to to, to start explaining what was happening, and she just grabbed it and looked at the, and saw La La Land and blurted it out. You know, okay. So, so those responsible have been sacked, which which I didn't think would happen, but they they actually have they've uh, they fired the two. They didn't yeah. fire the accountants. They just they're both partners in Price Waterhouse. So right. they just said, well, you won't do the show next year. Meaning that uh, that Price Waterhouse will do the show next year, but now they're going to have one of those investigations. I love when the Academy has an investigation. Um, you, yeah. they all, everybody gets to chime in. Well, I thought they're probably a- going to drag. They're going to drag the head of Price Waterhouse in front of each one of the fifty-four members of the Board of Governors. 
so he can tell them his story about what happened and apologize and do his mea culpa. Well, oh, it's so, fabulous. It's be- it's better than a lot of the stuff on the show. It, it, well, you know, well, actually, I thought Jimmy. Well, so what did you think of Jimmy? Because I thought Jimmy did a good I thought, job. I thought it was terrific. Yeah. I thought it was a great show. Yeah. Uh, I lo- and the surprise ending only helped. I thought Jimmy was wonderful. He he had I thought struck all the right notes. You know, a lot of times a lot of uh, comedians. I'd like to establish a running gag, and they run a little too far with it. He could have done with one less candy drop from the ceiling, and he could have right. uh, probably cut a Matt Damon moment, and he probably well, could have cut references know. to the fact that no, nobody saw the movies. Well, <laughs> I, I actually thought the Matt Damon thing, for me, was perfect. I loved it. When he started playing Matt Damon off during the thing, that yeah. I just I loved that. But the, you know, I was... So a woman emailed me, who I don't know that well, but she's not in show business, and, and she said, what was with all the Matt Damon bashing? <laughs> and this is what happens on the Oscar show. I mean, people are watching that show who have no idea who Jimmy Kimmel is right. or what he does. Right. You know, it's like the Super Bowl, where people begin asking these questions, and you realize that not everybody lives in the same bubble that you live in. All right, so I want to... And the people who know Jimmy Kimmel, you know, they they get the joke of people who were, like, in touch with pop culture. Right. There are people who... Who you know it doesn't come close, and but they wind up watching the show because it's the Oscars. Right. It never dawned on me that people didn't get what was going on between the two of them. But you're absolutely right. Of course, there are people that don't know about that. Yeah, there are people who have who have absolutely no idea. Well, so and t- that was brought home to me, you know, when I when I got her email. Anyway, that's really that. Yeah, that that's makes a good point. I also thought that we were talking about this, that the way that La La Land and Moonlight handled everything was such um, a testament to grace. It, it, they just yes, couldn't. Yes, it was. Right. They're amazingly classy. Really? Amazingly classy. Um, Proof that there are classy people in the movie business. Which okay, so now I w- we want we want stories, Bruce, because I mean you did it forever, and we were just talking about you know the Billy Crystal years, and oh my God, w- were you there when David Letterman hosted? Yes, I was. Okay, so now my I, w- I was a. My my husband was uh, Dave's head monologue writer back for for a number of years. So tell so what was that like being on the receiver? Because I happened to like it when Dave did the show. I thought those that was a great Oscars. I don't know why he took all that shit. Well, I guess it was the Oprah Uma thing, which I thought was really funny. You know wh- what was that like to be on the other on the other side of that? Well, you know. It- it did not. It didn't play as badly in the house as as uh, the reviews uh, led you to believe. Mm-hmm. But I mean, he made a couple. He made a couple of crucial errors. Um, and remember, this is the era before the internet. I mean, this was twelve or twenty right. years ago. That right. show, right. believe it or not. And uh, so it was before the internet had really taken hold, and before there were smartphones and all of that. So people weren't as as unbelievably plugged in as they are now. Right. So a lot of people had never, you know, didn't know Letterman, hadn't seen him, and they had no idea what he was, why there was a spinning dog or <laughs> why he was doing any of those bits from his show. And the audience was kind of, it's, they, it's, it's, he was like an outsider. I mean, he, right. there hadn't been, except for Johnny Carson, there hadn't been any hosts on the show 
who were not in the movie business. Right. And so here he can. Here comes TV boy, and he's up there, and he's making fun of people's names. Right. You know, making fun of Oprah and Uma. Now, you know, Uma's sitting there. She's nominated for an award, and it's like, so this guy's making fun of my name. I've come this far, and this guy's making fun of my name. Come and, on, you gotta uh, have a sense of humor. You know, I think though. Oprah was a little bit more simpatico to it, but <laughs> it, uh, it it struck the wrong note for people in the room because he was, you know, an outsider. I mean, he was his whole thing was like Stella Dallas standing outside the wedding and not being able to go in. <laughs> so, okay, so I want to go back, like, how little Bruce Valange, you know, be, before any of this happened, but we're in the Oscars, so do you have any favorite, I mean, like the whole Billy Crystal stuff, I mean, that era was just too precious was, for words. Yeah, it was fabulous. I mean, I, I, so, it was great. I mean, he's a, you know, he's a full service. Somebody actually, another person said to me, uh, when did this thing start where the host gets to do all of this stuff? It used to just be Bob Hope or Johnny Carson would come out and do jokes right. and come back and introduce people with a one-line thing. And now there are all these things spread out. And I said, well, partially it's because the, 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 the nature Billy changed it. Right. Billy was the one who made uh, – who, who turned it into a, a, a vaudeville, cabaret, who sang, danced, did all these things. And other people feel like they've got to do that kind of stuff. Right. But also the network was uh, – always eager to make this show more of an entertainment mm -hmm. because a lot of the reason people thought it was boring and awful was that there were 24 awards, only 20 of which they cared about. Right. Because the, the, the ones for the four actors, everything else, I mean, you had to find a way to liven up sound effects, <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. So if you added other stuff, there wasn't an award presentation. Uh, there was the host, you know, entertaining people. Uh, the audience would be happier. So that was part of where, where it grew. Um, but it's always been, as Johnny Carson said, it's an hour and a half of entertainment spread out over a four-hour show. <laughs> and so for you, was so so was Billy like a highlight for you because you got to be so creative? Sure. Yeah, I would. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But, I mean, I, they, they were all great. I mean, I did like eight shows with Billy, so certainly that was the highlight. I did four shows with Whoopi and... Three with Steve Martin, oh, God, and, yeah. um, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and other people strewn along the way. <laughs> what was was anything so, not? Yeah, I mean, was anything know, not? Changed it. Was Billy anything not? It for, you know, forever, and, and and they 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 all now try to do that kind of thing. Right, right. Was was but, anyone you know. not fun? Was it was it was it was it arduous ever to to do it? Um, it was never arduous because it was the Oscars and it was exciting. Mm -hmm. But you know, some people, Ellen, but Ellen was it was a lot of stress because she wanted to do it her way, right? And um, uh, there was a, there was there was tension, mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. But uh, um, and you know, Letterman Letterman was in New York and he came out a couple of days before the show, so there was no real. Um, there was no real camaraderie between the right. show, right. which was separate from their bit. That's often happens with the host. Now they arrive with a dozen writers, mm. and they're usually coming off of, of the show that they do every day. So it's it's uh, different than it was when they, when it was like that was what they were doing right. for a month before they actually did the show. Yeah, but it was with John Stewart too. But John Stewart's just an amicable guy. Right. Right. Uh, 
But that, like when you, you did know, it, he had a different vibe. When you did it with Billy, you're working together day in day out for week after week, and you're like doing this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's what it's like. Yeah, we'd meet every morning. It was like we were doing a variety show every, so fabulous. every week. It's 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 it was it, fun. Oh God, and 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 so fabulous that it's that we have that archive to go back to. Because it, it it's some of the greatest entertainment that's ever been recorded ever anywhere. Um, oh, right. Yeah, bravo, Bruce, bravo. All right, so oh, good. So let's talk about let's talk about how this all starts for you. So you so you're a little kid. You you're a little kid in New Jersey. Your bio's wrong because on Wikipedia they say you're from New York, New York. So you're from New Jersey. I was born in New York, and I was taken to Patterson, New Jersey, in four days. Uh huh. Okay. The first of. of <laughs> Many insults. Uh, I was, uh, but so that's probably where the confusion. They also say I'm a vegan. I think on my Wikipedia, which I don't know, somebody planted it there, not me. <laughs> but I grew up. I grew up in Jersey, but I was in New York a lot because it was. I was a child actor. I was never a child star. Or okay, wait. Having all right. this conversation in rehab. All right. So, so let's talk. I was let, a child actor, let, and, did, and so I was in New York a lot. All right. Wait. And, well, I want to um, hear about. I didn't do anything famous, but, but I want to hear about I, how I played little how, little what? parts here and there. All right. But how did that start? Do, obviously, you must have had supportive parents if you were able to do very, that as a kid. They were very simpatico. They realized that. that uh, I liked making faces in the mirror, and I liked entertaining, and they encouraged that. Their only fear was that uh, I, I would make a living. Well, <laughs> they said, you need something to fall back on. They wanted. They said, be a lawyer, be a trial lawyer. You know, they act. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, nah, I don't think I want to go through that just so I can stalk, stalk around the courtroom like Orson Welles. I I'd rather stalk around a movie set like Orson Welles or Raymond Burr. Okay. Oh God. Yeah, the best pyramid. So, okay. So now, how old were you when you decide when you have stars in your eyes? How how little? How young are you? Oh, I was the, my I my mother says I read. I learned how to read by looking at the movie ads. Wow. And I would I would read the movie ads and I, and I would read them to her and they were kind of astonished that I you know. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I could read read these things and you know my my vocabulary was peppered with things like. Fabulous cinemascope, blazing <laughs> <laughs> technicolor. Yeah, that's what I was reading. Uh, okay, so now, so, uh, so you're, you're they always they liked it. So, and I came from a this is an eccentric family. I mean, they were they were they were all kind of crazy. On my mother's side, they were really kind of crazy. And, and I had a uh, uh, my mother had an uncle who was actually a Catskills comic, Mickey Landau. He wasn't a big, successful Catskills comic. He was one of those Catskills comics, you know, who, who had the Buick and drove to five hotels in one night and did 20 minutes in each one of them. My father was a master of roads around Monticello. My father was a master of ceremonies in the Catskills, and so he probably oh introduced probably introduced him more than once. I'm guessing. I'm, uh, no question. <laughs> there were so many comics named Mickey. That was the, yes. the first problem. <laughs> You know, I, I, I later wrote something as an homage to him. It was Mickey Mickey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. The comic stylings of Mickey Mickey. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now, so you're very little. You come from this eccentric background. Do, does it start because you're in a play, or does it start because you're watching movies and television? Oh, I was watching. I was dancing around the house. You know, I, I was uh, acting up a storm uh, at, 
at, at family dinners and mm-hmm. things like that. So uh, they sent me. I went to a, uh, a camp like Fame. Right. I went to a camp in the Berkshires that was run by Ted Mack. Wow. Ted Mack was like the Simon Cowell of his day. Yeah, Ted Mack's Amateur he, Hour was uh, Lindsay had a knows nothing. The original Amateur Hour. All right. And he was he was it was a big show on ABC. It had come from radio mm-hmm. and went to television. He was famous for uh, turning down Elvis Presley because he was too dirty. Wow. And uh, and I remember Anne Margaret uh, made her a debut sort of on the show. Wow. And she lost. <gasps> she lost to a woman who played Lady of Spain on the leaf. <laughs> She had a leaf, and she put it against her lips and hummed. And the audience just thought it was genius. And Aunt Margaret was out there singing, I fell in love with your first time with her, because you, then, there, I, and she was, you know, all over the place, sexy, and can then, no, 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 sorry. Second place. Oh, my God, that's And we were in the audience, because every week we would we would be bussed down to New York to be in the audience at the Ted Mack uh, Original Amateur Hour. What, what you, and I we were... were the stars of Tomorrow. And a lot, oh. there were, like, uh, a lot of talented kids and some celebrity kids, too. And so what was uh, what was your talent? Was your talent singing, dancing? What Were you a sing- song and dance man? What it was, were... I, I, was an, I was an actor, but I, okay. I did musical comedy, uh-huh. so I could sing and dance. Okay, so, um, so now what... it was a, it was a, it was everybody, everybody was an actor, or you know, I didn't play an instrument, so um, so did... I wasn't, you know, I wasn't. I was a little too heavy to be a dancer. Dancer, <laughs> I was what they called an eccentric dancer. <laughs> so, so now you're you're doing this in the house, and you're doing this at Ted Max Amateur Hour. Are, are you doing are you doing plays in school? Are you doing that whole thing too? Oh, I did all of that. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So you did yeah, the musicals in school. I did. Okay, so now at what point? One after that was my refuge. I mean, I, I you know was an ungainly kid, and I uh, I wasn't athletic. And you know when you're when you're not athletic, yeah, um, you you get picked on a lot, and uh, you um, you develop other things, you know. And and so my refuge was in the theater. I could I could be somebody else. So I was in everything I could possibly be. So, in. so what kind of parts did you play? And tell me some of the things you did. You know, I played all the stubby K parts uh, because <laughs> I had a big voice and I was I was heavy. I looked older, so I was in all those musicals: Nicely and Nicely Johnson and Guys and Dolls. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was uh, uh, Luther Billis in South Pacific. Mm-hmm. I was Allie Hakeem in Oklahoma. You know, mm-hmm. we did all the big classic musicals. Right, right. Uh, I mean, I did every Stubby K part. I did a little Abner, and uh, that's um, hysterical. I was married. I mean, I did all the character, Do Little and My Fair Lady. I mean, all of that stuff. Okay. Those, all those parts that you know that Nathan Lane would do later right, on, right? Okay. In revival. So then, so in, so so then <laughs> every you... part I want to do, Nathan has done already. Oh. All right, so now, so you go to school, though, you you go to college, and you study journalism. Now, while you're doing that, are you are you still performing? Yes. Well, I had two majors. I had a journalism and theater major. Okay. I declared a double major, and mm-hmm. so part of the theater thing, obviously, was doing a lot of plays. Right. So I was in a lot of plays, a lot of plays and musicals, at the Ohio State University, and I was also the editor of the of the school paper. 
Were you at Ohio State? Which was part of the journalism thing. At Ohio State, the Ohio State Lantern circulation 50,000 <laughs> five times a week. It was like a full-time gig. Okay, so how did you discover that you could write? Where, where, where how did that, where'd that come from? Uh, I, I, I guess I was in high school, and I began writing for the paper there, and I began you know, writing. You know, we had to write compositions, mm. and I used to have to write a composition every week, and, and I would get a high marks on that, and they would say, you know, he's, he's, he's a writer. He can actually do it. And uh, my parents also noted that, so they thought, ah, here's your fallback. Ah. You can go into journalism because <laughs> newspapers will be around forever. Uh-huh. <laughs> go no. <laughs> wow. And so, and when do you realize you can write a joke? Is it when you meet Bet? Is it before that? When, when do you realize that's your? Uh, I was always, you know, I was always doing it, and I was always performing jokes, and I would write funny stuff. I mean, that was when I met that. I just started write, giving her the funny stuff I was writing. What did you do? Stand up? Um, it, it, it was specific to what you know what her needs were. Right. But I'd always written funny. I mean, I wrote a column for the college paper that was mm-hmm. funny, and it was you know a humor column, the kind right. of thing that that Dave Barry wrote for the Miami Herald for right. years. When I was at the Miami Herald, but it was right before Dave got there. Wow. But they didn't give me a humor column to write. I was a feature writer, but I was. I didn't have a column, uh-huh. and um, but I but I did have the school paper, and uh, and it was funny. So I just you know I said okay, I can I can write funny. So let me see if let me see if funny is money. Funny, if boy, and funny was money for you. Okay, so now so yeah. so you get out of school, and how do you find your way to bet? What what how does that happen? I uh, found my way first to the Chicago Tribune. Right. Um, after I was in college, I was at the Miami Herald and the Detroit Free Press, and then I went to Chicago, and I met that in Chicago at uh-huh. a club called Mr. Kelly's, uh-huh. which was a very famous club at its day, and that um, was on Broadway and Fiddler on the Roof, which I being saw one of the daughters getting married every night. Seidel, yes, uh-huh. and and she um, uh, would go after the show to the Improv. And uh, sing, and Bud Friedman, who was who owned the Improv, mm-hmm. became her manager, and I knew him because uh, he managed uh, Freddie Prinze, mm-hmm. who um, who came to Mr. Kelly's and who I, I liked and, and did an interview with. He liked that a lot, and he called me and said, "I've got this girl going, coming to Mr. Kelly's. Would you please go see her? Mm-hmm. And if you like her, write something about her." So I did, and she. I mean, I went to see her, and she was amazing. She was mm. the opening act for Jackie Vernon, oh who was God. a deadpan comic. <laughs> I remember I don't Jackie. Know if you remember him? Yes. He was a very portly. He looked kind of like George Wint, uh-huh. and he was very sad. And <laughs> his whole, you know, delivery was, "When I was a kid, I was unwanted. Now I'm wanted in 13 states." <laughs> I was so unloved, I was run over by the welcome wagon. It was that kind of... Right. And that was his act. And he was very popular. He was on TV, and he mm-hmm. was you know, like a, a comic on the late-night talk shows. Right. And, and that was his opening act. And the, his audience was not ready for her at all, but she wow. was amazing. Wow. And I, I went to her afterwards, and I interviewed her, and she liked the column I wrote. And she said, uh, you're, you're a very funny writer. And I said, well, you're very funny. You should talk more on stage. Mm. And she said, you got any lines? And I began writing for her. What? And that was 100 years ago. <laughs> what? Okay, so that was 45 years ago, something like what? that. So when and, you, uh, when you, you saw know, her, she I was... I've been with her for 45 years. But oh she's God. only 32. 
<laughs> so she was singing then you, when you saw her first act. She was as, as a singer. There wasn't the banter. She was a singer, but she, uh, she would say things. She was mm-hmm. she would say a few little things in between, mm-hmm. and uh, she had this incredibly effervescent, ebullient personality, oh, God, yeah. stage presence, mm-hmm. and and anything she said, she would get a laugh on because she has exquisite timing. Right. So we just built on that. But yeah, I mean, she started out as a singer, and but her her stuff was so eclectic. Mm-hmm. Um, she would she would do what was then called nostalgia pieces, and she would pull something out of the Andrews sisters' trunk, and the performance was just like a firecracker. And then she would immediately follow that up with some gut-wrenching ballad right. from the 40s. I mean, she was, uh, and or some, she would take a rock and roll song like Do You Want to Dance and slow it down mm-hmm. and turn it into a really sensual ballad. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, her arranger and conductor was Barry Manilow. Right. He was playing piano and he, he constructed all of these numbers for her. Wow. As he later did for himself. Mm-hmm. Because uh, he's, he's a genius. He's mm-hmm. a master at doing all of that. Right, right. So, so it was quite something. It was quite a, a load of talent to, to hit, hit your star to. Well, and what a collaboration. And so, and, and we also were talking about the, the lyrics that you wrote for her at Carson's Farewell, which, oh my God. Just... Oh yeah, that was with Mark Shaman, who's <sighs> not a bad lyricist. <laughs> not a bad lyricist. Whose who, lyrics I wound up singing on Broadway in Hairspray. <gasps> That's right. Ay, ay, ay. All right, we have a lot to talk about. Okay, so, you, so you're with mm. Bet. Let's, let's go back. So you're with Bet, and so what your collaboration yeah. with Bet, are you bringing her stuff or are you writing with her? How, how is that working, you two? Uh, well, she she would always, she went back to the fiddler, and then she was playing the continental baths, the mm-hmm. the, uh, the gay Turkish bath. Right. And uh, and then she went. She got an album. She went to, from there to a nightclub, to mm-hmm. the upstairs or the downstairs, mm-hmm. the downstairs or the upstairs. I never remember which it was. <laughs> and that's when she got a record deal. Uh-huh. The Ahmed Erdogan came to see her and gave her a record deal on the Atlantic, and uh, she had a, a tour. We put a tour together and. Uh, so she was going from city to city, and I would fly out on the weekends from Chicago, wherever she was, and we, and I would write for that specific city. Wow! But also, once we put the set together, it was uh, whatever she had introduced song-wise. I just kept kept writing because she's voracious. Wow! She's not one of those people who, if you set the act, that's it. Right, right. You know, she's not Ethel Merman, famous <laughs> for saying, "Call me Miss Birdseye. This is this show is frozen." <laughs> Ethel liked to do the same thing over and over again. I remember when I worked with Ethel Merman, she had her charts, her music, Mm -hmm. and she had uh, noted in the music little pencil things saying, uh, like above a note, it would say, right arm up. Both arms out. I mean, she would note how she did the number in case she forgot. She would review it before she worked. And she always wanted the choreography to be exactly the way it had been before. Wow. And so so it pretty much, uh, a lot of it was the way she had done it on Broadway. So, so like songs that she had done from Annie Get Your Gun. Until she died, she did them the same way she did wow. them in the Get Your Gun. Wow. She was pretty amazing. She was, talk about precision instruments. Mm. She was, was pretty amazing. Was she, was, she, was she a cool body babe? I mean, because she strikes me as one. 
As being the what? Like a was she cool? Was she like a cool body babe? I mean, because you're saying all the structure that she did, but she strikes me as I my picture of her is that she was probably very funny and filthy and fun. Yes, she was. She okay. was. Yeah, she was. She was. Uh, she was funny, and she was filthy. Yeah. And you know, people forget uh, that that um, she was in great shape most of her life. It mm-hmm. was only the last, the last, I don't know, ten uh, after Gypsy when she stopped uh, doing eight shows a week mm-hmm. that um, she began getting a little matronly. Mm-hmm. But you know, most of the time she was quite sexy. If you look at the at the movies like Call Me Madam, and there's no business mm-hmm. like show business. Mm-hmm. Um, she's she's pretty hot. Absolutely, I mean, you know, she's got a great figure, and and uh, she moves her, moves herself around well. I just thought she was fabulous. I mean, she's, there's nothing like it. Absolutely, you know, nobody ever sang sang like that, and she had incredible comic timing and all that. But she was. Uh, uh, other actors weren't crazy about, that, or they had they knew that if they were on stage with her. She would be center stage facing the audience. <laughs> she would not look at you a lot. Wow. And she was kind of in her own show. <laughs> wow. And you just had to play along. Interesting. So so how did you connect with Ethel? How did that happen? Uh, she was on a show that I was working on, Shamana, <laughs> at a show. Yeah. Uh, they had a syndicated half-hour show in the 70s. Yeah, now, do you know Shamana? Uh, they were wait, wait. Are you, are a doo group, Are you going to say where the action Was it where the action and is? They was all that... were, each one of them was like an archetype of some other kind of character from the 50s. Right. The lead singer, who's Bowser, uh, was a Fonzie kind of character. Yeah. He was, um, you know, he was, he was like the bad guy from Greece. I remember and, them well, uh, and each one of them was something else. Mm-hmm. And they got a TV show because they were in the in the Woodstock. Wait, wait, they wait! They were at Woodstock, and Bruce. they were a highlight of the movie. They had one number, and it was hilarious. Was it where the it was action? A parody of, was of it rock where, and roll? Was it where the action is? Was that their show? It was something like that at that time. No, it was called Shanana. Oh, it was, it was called Shanana. Okay, all right. It was this at the same time as where the and we action did it for is. A, yeah. Okay. A couple of years, uh-huh. and and it was it was booked like the Muppets. Where there would be one star uh-huh. opposite, with with the one guest star, uh-huh. and the Merman Merman was on the show. She was a guest star on the show, and it basically, uh, it was w- one of the great moments ever. Is is uh, she came out? They said, "Let's have Ethel Merman," and she came out, and she was in front of this beautiful uh, curtain, and she she said, "Curtain up." <laughs> And the curtain went up behind her, and Shamana was standing there, and she took one look at him, and she said, Curtain down! I love it. That's very funny. I live for that. <laughs> That's very funny. Oh, okay, so so um, that happened in the middle of all of this. You, you, you come out to L.A. after Chicago, yeah? And you... You yeah, end up writing yeah. on TV, and you write what for happened, Donnie and what Marie. What happened was I was writing. I was writing for a lot of people. Okay. Uh, I was writing for Sonny and Cher and um, uh, David Steinberg, Flip Wilson, Joan Rivers, George Carlin, Richard wow. Pryor, a little bit. Wow. Um, a, a lot of a lot of different people, and of course, all the people who had started with Bet, who had gone on to their own success: Barry Manilow, Melissa mm-hmm. Manchester, Luther Vandross, mm-hmm. uh, the Pointer Sisters. And one of the acts that 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 had started 
was the Manhattan Transfer. Mm -hmm. uh, Bette had a dresser whose brother started the act, Tim Hauser, mm -hmm. and we put the show together, and they got a an album, Amit Erdogan, she got to come see them, mm -hmm. and then uh, they got a television. So they were the summer replacement for Cher in 1975, wow. and I came out here to write that show. Wow. And uh, I stayed. There was still variety television, mm -hmm. and uh, I stayed and worked in variety TV. I wrote Donnie and Marie. Right. And the Brady Bunch Variety Hour and a whole lot of TV specials. And then, then cable kind of killed that kind of television. Uh-huh. <laughs> because you could see, you could, you could get it any hour of the day on cable. Right. And the, the specialness kind of went away. And that, that, kind of, that whole sort of vaudeville tradition kind of quietly died of death. Did did you ever <laughs> have a lot of the people who, who did it? You wrote for so many people in so many different venues. Did did you ever have a point in your career where where you weren't employed? Yeah, yeah, but but um, not, uh, not not for really. Long. Yeah, I mean that was a good thing. I mean, yeah, they were little little hiatuses. Wow. Enough that I got to know what the unemployment office was like. <laughs> of course, I do remember going to, to the unemployment office, and Harpo Marx was there. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, he it was pointed out to him that he was not employed, that he he qualified for unemployment. Oh, my God. So he God. showed up, and, of course, he wreaked havoc at the office. They used to have, uh, at that unemployment office on Santa Monica Boulevard in Hollywood, which is no longer there, they had a stage door. They had a side entrance for famous people who didn't <laughs> want to be seen picking up their checks. <laughs> Only in Hollywood. Only in Hollywood. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. Uh -huh. So, okay, so so it, it now is Hollywood Square, is it like the next? So what's the, what's the next thing that happens? Out? You're writing for all these people. You're doing variety TV. Well, I was, that... I was writing for, uh, well, I, was, I started writing the Oscar show in 1989. Mm-hmm. And I was writing all of those. And then about in 96, they revived Hollywood Squares. And uh, they asked me to be the head writer because they wanted it to be mostly a comedy show. Right. And, uh, and I said yes. And then they got Whoopi to be in the center square. And mm -hmm. she said, well, I think the, the Blanche should host the show. Which is and, so you know, they, they thought she was crazy, but they didn't want to piss her off that early. <laughs> so they tested me. And... Uh, and they said, "Well, you know, you're 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 a little off mainstream for what we want, but we like your energy. We're going to put you in a square." And they put me in the square next to her. I think the idea was they thought I would tame her, <laughs> because, but you know, they didn't realize that uh, that she's really a Jewish guy and I'm really a black woman. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, we became a a, a nefarious team. You certainly did. It was a lot of fun for so, six years. It was, it was, actually, it was great. And that, you know, I started doing that. And, you know, when you're on television every night for six years, they, they know you. There's nothing yeah. hotter than somebody who's on TV uh, in a hit show. Nothing colder than somebody who used to be on TV <laughs> in a hit show. How did your life change when you were a, a daily celebrity? Well, you know, I, I was a celebrity. After 20 years of being with famous people, right. I was a famous person. Right. And so, so I, got to, uh, I got to apply all the things that I had learned watching other people. Such as? And uh, so I, you, I became the nicest person in the world. <laughs> because that's, you know, when you're famous uh, and people come up to you, this is their encounter with you. And you can 
they can remember you as nice, or they can remember you as you know as as the beast of all time. So, which, which a lot of people uh, do, yeah. though they're not all nice. Some people are the beast of all time. You well, may... some people aren't nice, and some people you catch at a bad moment. Right, that's true. And uh, the, one of the reasons a lot of famous people don't go out a lot is because they don't want to be rude to people. Mm. But when you go out and you you go somewhere and you you get somebody. And you want to be nice to them, but the fact is, you didn't go out of the house to see them. <laughs> right. And beyond a certain point, it's like you have your own thing that you want to do. And you know, after you're you're nice, and sometimes they don't let go, or and you can get it can get exasperating. And if it's a bad day, or if you're you know hungry, angry, lonely, tired, right, <laughs> any of the above, or all, right, uh, you can react poorly. And I think a lot of, of incidents that you hear about come from that. And that's why a lot of people don't really go out. They don't. They go to places that they know are safe, where they're not going to have to be nice to somebody's cousin from Indiana. That's really for, for interesting. For more than a minute. <laughs> that's really, I don't think anybody's ever put it quite that way. Um, that's enlightening to hear. So for the most part, though, I'm assuming, as you said, you were lovely and nice, and you made that choice. Um, did it, yeah. did it, so did you go out less because of it? No, because <laughs> I, I didn't have that kind of fame. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't mind it, to tell you the truth. I mean, it's just, I, I but I, I'm aware of it. Um, I, uh, I mean, I had, I had seen people who were so friendly that they could, uh, uh, so famous that they couldn't go out because they would just get mobbed. Right. And uh, so, so you know, they lived in a, in a kind of very circumspect circuit, and I, I watched how they did it. And but I never had that kind of, you know, that that kind of hysterical thing. You know, a lot of it has to do with uh, uh, sexuality. You know, when that when when they they view you as as you know, somebody who has a, a love life and they want to be a part of it and they can't be, mm. and so they want to be as close to it as they can. That's part of it, but I think just a lot of it is just you know genuine um, hysteria, genuine uh, uh, interest in, in you know somebody who they've seen on the big screen, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, um, I, but I just, I never had that. It, it wasn't, you know, that kind of incorporated success where I didn't have an entourage. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, at one point, I remember VH1 came to me and they wanted, a doc, there had been a documentary made about me called Get Bruce, which right. was still Netflix, mm-hmm. and like around 99. And they wanted a, me to do another thing and so we sat down and talked about it and I, I realized that I am not Anna Nicole Smith. <laughs> I didn't have that retinue of crazy people around me. Uh-huh. That's not my life. Right. My life is not crazy. You know, I'm not a Kardashian. <laughs> I am not a reality show. I mean I did a reality show. I did Celebrity Fit Club where they paid me to lose weight, <laughs> which I thought was, you know, where where have you been all my life is what I said to them. <laughs> I would have lost weight years ago if some if they paid me. <laughs> I love it. So okay, so if your life is not a, like a Kardashian, what is your life like? Because you are recognizable, you are on TV. So what is? Yeah. I, I mean, do you move through your life the same way anyone else would, or or do you have to, or is it a little different because I, you are who you are? I, I, 
little bit, but I mean, uh, I mean, I, I don't. I still don't have an entourage. God damn it! Where's my entourage? <laughs> I still don't have that, and I, and, and uh, but you know, I have a very a very specific look. Yes, you they do. They know me right it? away. They, yes. they sometimes think I'm Michael Moore, uh, or <laughs> occasionally Amy Schumer, but they they uh, yeah, I'm in her book. She said that uh, um, I look like what. I look like she looks in the morning. She yeah. looks like me, she said <laughs> in her book. She said, if you don't know uh, wh- who he is, just get a, Google a picture of a barn owl and put red glasses on it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. oh. Which I, I, I thought was hysterical. People said, oh, you should be a fan. I said, no, this is that's hysterical. You're kidding Amy Schumer. Getting a shout out from Amy Schumer. Hell yeah. I'm relevant. Oh, my God. Where's my entourage? Have you written for anybody like that? Have you written for any of this new crop? I haven't of... written for Amy. Okay. Uh, I've written for a lot of people, but uh, I haven't been writing for so many people lately because I've been writing my own stuff. Ah, what are you doing? Uh, I, you know, I perform, and I write my own stuff. And I've, I wrote a musical, which we did last summer in Connecticut, and we're going to take to Broadway next year. Fabulous. And... Uh, and uh, you know other other things. So I don't. I, but I, I wrote. We bet we did a tour last year or the year before, I think. Uh, and I I wrote that. But now she's about to do Hello Dolly on Broadway. I didn't yes. write that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine Bet's one of those people that has had to not go out as much as maybe she would have liked because I'm sure she gets you, mobbed you wherever know, she, she goes. She actually, it's it's unusual because. Uh, she does look so different when she's when she's uh, the divine Miss M, uh-huh. or even when she's Bette Midler on television. Uh-huh. I mean, she, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, her uh, her street look is is way down and always has been. I mean, there are always people who recognize her, right? right. But uh, um, it's not, you know, she doesn't go out dressed to to be recognized, right? You know, back in the day, they they used to. Um, I mean, you know, you, that was part of the studio training. You know, Anne Margaret mm-hmm. was telling me, uh, Elizabeth Taylor would tell me that uh, this is what they did. You know, they were trained. You never, you never walked out the front door unless you were, you know, looked perfectly like yourself. Right. Or you would have to, you know, wear like a burqa. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you have to hide with a, a huge hats and sunglasses, which of course attracts attention immediately. Of course. So uh, there, there were no like half measures. But Half they, uh, yeah. so, so they always have they have a kind of low key look that they that they feature, but they always get recognized. Well, but I mean, like somebody like Whoopi, she can't. What is she going to hide behind? You can't. No, you can't hide no, Whoopi. Nothing. I mean, she she doesn't. She's like me. She just goes out and she does it. And uh, and um, but she uh, they may get hysterical, but she has a very calming presence oh, to her. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and and. Uh, and that, and that house, I think she just she's who she is, and uh, they get they you know they they'll they'll be hysterical for a minute and they get respectful. Nice. You no, know, it's not. I mean, the, the ones who they chase are the ones. I mean, when 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 Barry Manilow mm-hmm. was having all those hits, mm-hmm. and you know he sings about heartbreak, right, and all that. So there were always women chasing him. I mean, literally chasing him <laughs> oh. and wanting a piece of clothing or. Oh. You know, and so it was. It was. I mean, for a long time, when at the when he was at the height of that, he mm-hmm. didn't go out, and mm-hmm. you know they would they'd bring clothes to the house. Oh, 
gosh. You know, he would pick the, I, yeah, I know. It's sad. The Queen Elizabeth has that problem, too. <laughs> so, you wait, before her, we, you know, before you we... don't see her prancing around Harris <laughs> looking for a bra. <laughs> Before we get off Whoopi, though, what about that whole Ted Danson thing? I, I heard you wrote that. that, that. Uh, yeah, we did the Friars Club roast. Um, it was a, a major disaster, and, I, and the, the one we all felt bad for was Ted. Because, you know, we, we, they, they had been going together, and they had actually broken up, uh-huh. but they had agreed to do this thing before the breakup. Right. And so they said they would go through with it. And... Uh, uh, they had gotten so much hate mail and mm-hmm. so much bad reaction because mm-hmm. they were a couple mm-hmm. that they decided they would make fun of that. And right. that was Ted coming out in blackface, roasting her cool. and doing all the awful jokes, you know, every <laughs> single terrible joke. And um, uh, it was quite, I thought it was quite brilliant. I was yeah. delighted to write it. Uh-huh. It was irresistible. But what happened was the Friars Club unbeknownst to us, had opened the uh, event to the public. Uh-huh. And uh, and they um, there were 1,500 people in the ballroom of the New York Hilton, and a lot of them were like the woman who doesn't understand Matt Damon and, uh, and <laughs> Jimmy Kimmel. <laughs> they had no idea what a roast was. Oh they didn't know that God. this was... I mean, because roasts were not publicly done. I mean, there right. were the Dean Martin roasts, but they were like, you know, sponsored Tame. on network yeah, television. Yeah. They were yeah. kid glove things. Right. The Friars Club roasts were, were like, you know, yeah. as, as vivid and filthy as possible. And they were like stunned. Oh, and that was what the reaction was, that there were all these people sitting there slack-jawed, going, wow. what's going on? <laughs> oh and it wasn't God. helped by some of the people on, on the day. It's like the mayor of New York was a black guy, David Dinkins, oh, and he yeah. decided to take umbrage. Oh, <laughs> and, so crazy. And uh, some other people, yeah, so it was um, it was a mess, and I felt bad for him. But the Friars took full-page ads in all the papers saying it was their fault for not telling her and that she did exactly what people have always done at Rose. Right. And they had nothing to be, and they raised X amount of dollars for the charities and mm. nobody had anything to be ashamed of. And eventually, you know, it just, uh, it, it went away, but also their, you know, their relationship had, was over at that point. So, right. Right. So, yeah, but it was a great big media stink. And I can imagine if there had been social media, oh my I probably God. would have, you know, gone <laughs> Gone into hiding somewhere. <laughs> so know, ha- I'd probably be up in Napa running a hot air balloon franchise. So has social media affected what you do now that you it, because it's such a different world now? So oh yeah. How well, so? Sure. I mean, it affects everything everybody does. But how does it impact uh, what you so do? Much, so much is determined by it, mm-hmm. and it's also I think it's changed the the tenor of things. I mean, it's we live in a. It's, we've gone beyond snark. We live in an, in an old, unfiltered world where people just say what they think and press ascend. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, and everybody's got an opinion, and nobody knows what the hell they're talking about. And it's just. And now we have a, a president who sits in bed at five o'clock in the morning and tweets. Yeah. Oh God! Yeah. So yeah, we don't know he's in I mean, bed. It's come to that, we, we could be on yeah. the toilet. <laughs> Oy, we, yeah. um, slowly sinking. Approaching the records of the Titanic. 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so before we we get to the the very present present, so what was it like for you to be on Broadway to to have that moment happen where you're the star in a Broadway show? This little boy from New Jersey who <laughs> is... it was the it was the realization of a lifelong dream. It was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It was absolutely staggering. And that and uh, I mean, remember an interview you were saying to me, well, you. You've been working toward. You've always wanted this, and this was. I said, yeah, but I, I probably I wanted it in a in a dreamlike way. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think I would have waited until I was fifty seven <laughs> to do it <laughs> if I really wanted it. I mean, I would. It would have happened sooner. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, it was fabulous. It was great. Mm-hmm. It was great to be, and it, and it was also. I mean, it's the greatest show. I mean, yeah. from an actor's point of view, yeah. it's the kind of show where even if you don't feel like doing it, the moment you hit the stage, Aww. the audience brings you up yeah. because they are, they're there to have a, a party. Absolutely. And the show doesn't let you down. The show is just one great thing after another. I mean, I, when I said, I now understand Vanessa Redgrave, if I had to do Medea, and come out there and kill my children and drag the corpses around the stage. <laughs> I might not be so lighthearted. So, so what's this? I get her now. <laughs> so, what's this? What's what's this show you're working on now that you're going to bring bring to Broadway? Can you tell us anything about it? It's a it's an, an original musical mm-hmm. with a, all of Petula Clark's songs. <gasps> and so, so think, Mamma Mia! Oh. Please think, Mamma Mia! Don't sleep because in the Mama subway, Mia ran darling. Only Twelve years. Don't sleep so in the subway, darling. Yeah. I love the Tulip Clark. And it's about Clark. a girl from Columbus, Ohio, who uh-huh. goes to New York in 1965 and walks in, into the world of Mad Men. And by the end of wow. the show, she's one of the first feminists. Wow. Uh, so it's about female empowerment. Love and Petula's it. music is amazing. None of which she wrote, but these are all songs that she made hits, and a couple of other items from 1965 as well. Fantastic. So that sounds did, fantastic. We did it last summer at Good Speed, which is an incubator for uh-huh. musicals in Connecticut. And it uh, looks like we're going to bring it in spring of 18. Love it. Can't so. wait to see it. That sounds fantastic, Bruce. I love the Tula Clark. Okay, so last question before we go. Do you have a guilty mm-hmm. pleasure, Bruce? Is there any? I mean, I mean, you live pretty free, and 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 you, I think you're pretty true to yourself. But is there anything yeah. that that you do mm-hmm. that you would rather like people not see you do it? Or is there anything you love that you can't believe that you love it? Um. <laughs> well, let me see. Like a um, yeah, a food, a, certain, something you watch. Vices. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wish I had something like that, but uh, <laughs> I mean, all my guilty, the guilt, you know, they're, they're, I mean, I have, uh, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, 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 I don't know, they're, they're not like scandalous. I mean, I love British procedurals on television, and Ooh. I mean, there's nothing I, in, in particular that I do. I don't have any kind of freaky ho- hobby <laughs> or, or any, anything like that, so. Um, it doesn't I mean, have I, to be I'm, freaky. Actually, I want, what I want to do for Turner Classic is a series of movies of guilty pleasures, which are bad movies that are acknowledged as being bad, but they are so much fun to watch. Like what? Like what's that, one that you uh, like? Do you have one? I find them irresistible. And so actually we're talking about doing that, and, and uh, I would love to see it happen. But it's, you know, I mean, John Waters does this, thing, but, but he does. He he does kind of creepy ones, uh-huh. <laughs> which are great. Uh-huh. But I, I have like more like trash classics, like pictures like the Oscar and 
Yeah. There's no business like show business with Merman, which has Ethel Merman and Marilyn Monroe. Yes. <laughs> and just, you know, sharing a screen. <laughs> Crazy. Crazy. Well, I love that idea. Yeah. I hope you get to do it. And I, I actually love the Oscar. That's one. I saw the Oscar maybe 30 times. I love that movie. Oh, my God. It's, it's hysterical. It is. Poor Tony Bennett. And uh, Tony Bennett acting, and but playing this sad character. Yeah. Oh, it's it's uh, you know it's one of the greats. I mean, it's one of the great. It's right up there. Very cool. Because with it's a it's a real trash classic because they're also they're all from that period, you know, where where they were making serious stuff and they and they didn't realize how ridiculous it how was. How campy it was, yeah. I mean, that doesn't happen too much anymore. Although eh, it does a little bit, I suppose. I, I can't think of one off. The top of my head that i mean sometimes they're just bad they just they're just not you know not good and, and you, you but you're not laughing because they i mean these were things that were bad from the from the start right you know where love has gone oh i didn't which see that one. A loosely based from a harold robbins novel which was a loosely based on the lana turner murder case uh-huh and and it's a riot it's susan hayward and betty davis ah started and the third member of the generation, Joey Heatherton. So start with that. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, Bruce, thank you so much for doing this. You're you're wonderful you and, and, and delightful. I adore you. I am thrilled and excited to see your show in 2018. I look forward right. to it. And cool. um, uh, thanks you again. Too. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful evening. Right. Thanks, Have Bruce. Take, Take care. care. Bye-bye. So easy, Lindsay. Yeah, Bruce Valanche. So cool. So well, funny. Right. Okay. So now so you you're cool. not from the school of Bruce Valanche. What do you think? No, I think he's awesome. He's awesome. He's right? the coolest person ever. <laughs> yeah. He's he's pretty amazing. So for me, the takeaway, I actually got one in my head, which is when he said that somebody said to him, "Oh, you finally got your lifetime dream to be on Broadway," and he said, "No." If it was my lifetime dream, it wouldn't have happened when I was 57. It would have happened a lot sooner. Mm -hmm. And for me, there was that was the ticket right there. Bruce Valange, whatever he wanted, whatever he wants, he just does. With total self-assuredness and total conviction, and there's no question that it's going to happen. I mean, he's pretty much done everything he's wanted to do, worked with everyone he's wanted to work with and it's just it's it's like it's there's no option that it's not going to happen it's like i've got a dream this is what i want to do here it is so i think maybe he was always celebrated in his household mm. and he's a genius so he has no reason to doubt or question himself and he's been blessed with this joy mm -hmm. so people love being around him absolutely so he's the first person everybody wants because he's great and he's fun and he's wonderful. So he just, you know, he just kind of walks in the door like, all right. And he's excited to go to work every day. And he looks as fun as he is. Um, I'm going to have to show you a picture, Lindsay. He looks absolutely as fun as he is. He's fantastic looking. The the red glasses, the the hair. I mean, he's just, he's... Um, he knows he's, who he is. He's a party walking in the door, this Bruce Valanche. So, Lindsay, did you get anything? What, what did you get? What did you take away from Bruce? I don't know. I kind of got what you said. It's just mm -hmm. like, 
don't let anything really stop you and you'll find your dream and you'll do it and it's great. <laughs> and I think, Louise, what you said is really true. I think the fact that his parents supported him and celebrated the fact that he was getting applause from the time he was a tiny little kid. Yeah. Oh, look, he can read these words. Oh, look how funny he is. Look what he's saying. It's a spectacular whatever he was. Yeah, the fact that they celebrated him right from the get-go, what that does for our self-esteem when we come from that as opposed to those of us who didn't get that who were squashed right and who were told no and we've had plenty of those celebrities on is on the road taken as well who've actually gone on to great things as a result of being kept down they were i'll show you i mean madonna talks about the fact that you know all of us her success started because she was told no and you can't and you won't and all of that stuff and she was going to prove her detractors wrong which she did but how lovely to see it start in the opposite place from love right. and from acceptance. Well, we're all a product of personality times circumstances. Mm. And it comes out however it comes out. And for him, you know, he kind of said, all right, well, I'm not the sporty guy, but I've got this, you know. And so he just kept going. He with worked with his strengths. And, yeah, he, and that's it. He, worked, he never tried to change who he was. I mean, if you look at Bruce Valanche, he looks exactly the same as he did in the 70s. He's probably wearing the same. There he is. He's got the same hairdo. He's probably wearing the same T-shirts. You know, his he crazy T-shirts. He probably looked like that as a baby, yeah. but without <laughs> maybe the glasses. He probably did. Yeah. Well, Wheezy, Lindsay, our first female-centric non-male, what is it called again? Male. No man. No mansplaining. No, no man. No mansplaining show. <laughs> um, um, thrilled to have you and uh, with me here on this journey, and thank you all for coming and listening. And I look forward to next time, next week on the Road Taken. The Road Taken is a radio-free podcast here whenever you are. A new show every Tuesday. Available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, and on the corner of Hollywood and Vine where I'll be using a bullhorn. Well, you can also get links to all this and more at VickiAbelson.com. That's V-I-C-K-I-A-B-E-L-S-O-N. Please follow, subscribe, review, lather, rinse, repeat. Till next Tuesday. And mine and binge our archive while you're at it. It's rich with information, inspiration, and fun, damn it. Thanks for listening. And if you like to watch, keep your eyes peeled for our next Facebook Live. Mm -hmm.